Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Take a seat in the pastor's office. frequency, tune in. Get up, world. We're Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason back in the pastor's office on Mother's Day Sunday. Let me say this to all the mothers out there that are hearing my voice. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. When God made mothers, he made a very special thing. And you know, each year, it becomes even more uh, pressing to me to show appreciation to mothers, and specifically my mother. Uh, I've shared with you on the show before, my mother is now 88 years old, uh, late-stage Alzheimer's, uh, and I've just learned to enjoy mom in the moment. Uh, you know, 10 minutes after we talk, she'll call me and say, I never call, I never visit, and I understand that's the disease. But to be able to still have her physically here, to still be able to hear that voice, hear her laugh, to even hear her fuss sometimes. Let's be honest with each other. Uh, It's just a blessing. I love my mama. I love my mama. And I thank God I can still laugh with my mama. I can still dance with my mama. So again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. And let me say this to some folk. We have a tendency to get angry with our relatives, even our parents. But I want to share something with you. If you are blessed to have a living mother or a living father, grace should always abound. Whatever you're upset about, don't let another day go by without calling your mom and telling her you love her. Don't let another day go by because tomorrow is not promised. That being said, I'm doing this show today because I always want to be with you, but I might have to get out of here in a little while, take my mama to dinner. Uh, So let's get moving with the show. We got a great show today. I'm actually very excited. Uh, In our second segment, we're going to be talking to State Senator Sharif Street. But in our first segment, I'm really pumped. So you know that I started my career in radio in Norfolk, Virginia, but uh, in and that was in 1995. But in 1997, I went to New York. I was working for K-Rock Radio in New York City. I was putting words in the mouth of Howard Stern and Robin Quivers. Uh, I was selling advertising time. I was there for eight and a half years. Uh, spent, I, was in, I was in New York from 97 to 2015 working in radio. And across the street, there was a young lady that was one of the biggest names in New York City radio over at WBLS. Uh, I fought with their salespeople a lot for business. But I knew her name, and and quite honestly, I listened to her show. 
Now I watch her and her husband on HGTV as they try to help us understand why real estate is so important, why getting involved in real estate is so important. So I'm just excited right now. I'm going to stop talking. I want to welcome into the pastor's office Ms. Egypt Sherrod and DJ Mike Jackson. Y'all come on into the pastor's office. Welcome, (laughs) welcome, welcome. Hey there. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for having us. God is good. We're grateful to be here. Thank you so much. Yes, indeed. Now, you guys have a wonderful family. You're married, been together for about 18 years, if uh, if all of my research is correct, and you've got three children. All right. We have a 20-year-old. A 10-year-old and a 3-year-old. Wow, wow, wow. Well, listen, God has truly been good to you, and and I'm thanking you for giving up some time on Mother's Day to talk to us. And again, I gave a little bit of your history, Egypt, and and Mike, we know you're a DJ. We've We've been listening to your music for years. Here's what I need to understand before we even talk about the show. How did you guys get into real estate? Doesn't seem like a natural pathway from broadcasting, from radio, from DJing. How did we get into real estate? (laughs) It actually was uh, very natural for me. So I come from a family of real estate brokers. Uh, They own Century 21s in the Philadelphia region years ago before retirement. So growing up, for me, the conversation at the Thanksgiving table was always about some property. Uh, Inevitably, after, you know, some years working in broadcasting, you start thinking about what your next chapter is going to be. At least you should. You know, everybody needs to have that plan A and then that plan B. You know, for me, entertainment was fun, but I knew it wasn't going to, you know, take me through all the chapters of my life and provide a stable environment for me to have children and raise a family. And so when I decided to define my second career, it was real estate. I started as an investor, Uh, then became an agent and decided to further my education and became a real estate broker. And so it's been almost 20 years in in this amazing, rewarding, but yet crazy field of real estate. Uh, When I met Mike, he was a general contractor and a DJ. um, And and that's what's really interesting. You know, everybody's got multiple jobs, multiple, you know, talents and side hustles these days. But my husband, too, like me, was, um, you know, we we were having fun, enjoying the, you know, the music arena, but we were also setting up shops. So he was a general contractor who helped me on some of my flip homes in Newark, New Jersey. And that's how we met. Wow, wow. That 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 is exciting. So when you were at the dinner table back when you were a child, they were talking about whether or not they got four percent commission, six percent commission, or how difficult the inspection was, right? Yeah, listen, Pastor Mason, it wasn't past the turkey, it was like past the house on Brown Street. You know, and when when you're young, when you're a kid, it's like, Oh my gosh, can we talk about something else? Right. But I I am grateful for those conversations. I'm grateful for that fellowship around the table because whether I wanted to or not back then learn, I was. It was instilled in me. Certain principles about real estate and investment and wealth were embedded in me. You know, it's interesting that that was brought up. Um, I think that those are two things that are missing from the family, you know, gathering around the table and eating and speaking about finance, finances and real estate and legacy, you know, those two things are powerful and should be going on. 
You know what? I, I talk to our young people about that all the time. I talk to our parents here. So I pastor a church in the Frankfurt section of Philadelphia. Owning radio stations is just something I do so I can do ministry. Uh, but at the end of the day, I talk to families about the importance of gathering around that dinner table, gathering around, spending time after the day. When I drop my boys off at school in the morning, the prayer, at the end of the prayer, I always say, Lord, bless us to see the other side of this day so that we can debrief, talk about what is transpired, and then move on to the next day. There's a lot of learning that goes on at that dinner table and at the house indeed. when the family comes together. Indeed. Yes, indeed. So, so Mike, I got to ask you this. So I had Tamla Mann and David on uh, last week, and I, and I had to ask this question. I'm going to ask you guys. I ain't starting no trouble. I'm just asking a question. So, <laughs> so you live together, you work together, you do a show together. Uh, what's it like? <laughs> working with, living with, being with your spouse 24-7. All right, don't get in any trouble on Mother's Day. Listen, look, she she got a bit of a fist balled up right now saying don't answer that incorrectly. I don't know how much time you got, but let me see if I can shorten that. Um, no, um, you know what? It, it's, it's actually amazing. You would think that, so we've been together 18 years. And it's been nonstop, meaning we've, we've seen each other for the most of 18 years, almost every day. And it feels like yesterday to me, you know, if I seen her on the street today, I'd married her tomorrow. Um, I have no qualms of seeing her every day, working with her every day. There's no issues. You know, we may have our days where I say, listen, I'm going to my room. You go to yours. I'll see you in the morning, <laughs> you know, but we communicate, we work it out, but through it all, we, it's, it's for me. Here's what I love about it. It's the fact that our three daughters get to see us build something together and make it work. Amen. You know, they get to see what a, a, a great family is, a great father is, a great mother is, um, how we work together, how we construct our businesses, how we help each other out, how we help others out. So I, I honestly feel like I get to do what I love to do with the person that I love, and I wouldn't have it any other way. That, that, now ask me that question tomorrow. You might get different. Well, well, well I, you know what? I, 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 I'm going to text you after the interview. We'll just talk on the side. All right. <laughs> no, 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 no. Mother's Day dinner is safe and secure. So everything's all right. But but listen, listen, no, in all seriousness, guys, you talked about the importance of a side hustle. So as we talked about earlier, you guys were involved in radio and music uh, and, and, and real estate was a side hustle. Talk to us about how this transition into your primary vocation? Well, for those who may not know, I I started out in Philadelphia on the radio, actually at WRTI Jazz FM, Temple University Public Radio. Temple, Temple. A, yep, I'm a Temple grad. Uh, I was the receptionist there, and radio found me. I was on my way to be an entertainment attorney. <laughs> that was my goal. And I uh, was working at the radio station and work study. And before I knew it, I was recruited to be a radio personality there. So it was not the goal for my life. But you know what they say? We make plans. God laughs That's because right. he's got he's got the master plan. That's right. So <laughs> um, so I, I just, you know, I let go and I trusted the ride. And it took me through an amazing radio career all the way to hosting mornings in New York City. But underneath it all, I was still very much a business mind. Um, I was still someone who, you know, wanted to make deals, uh, loved to negotiate, and needed to do more than be in a studio for four hours of a day, you know, just talking to the microphone. I, I needed something else that made me feel more, you know, more rewarding and of service. And so when I did stumble upon 
working in, in real estate as an investor, as I mentioned to you, how that desire started through my family. Um, and I got licensed after I did my first real estate deal and saw what it, what it was like for someone who recognized the dream of home ownership, um, that I literally took clients from being renters to homeowners. And I just got such a great level of satisfaction. And I said, okay, I found it, you know, like that big aha moment. I know what I'm supposed to do. I can do a variety of things. I mean, we don't have to be a one trick pony. We can continue to peel back the layers of our ourselves uh, like an onion, you know, throughout our life and redefine and, and refine ourselves. And so I, I realized that my calling truly was it just being of service to others. And it's just amazing once I committed to that, how everything else came together. So I then took my real estate um, expertise on the radio and transitioned my radio show from just entertainment to where I would also talk about wealth building and what we need to be doing with our money and how to buy real estate. And funny enough, my show went from being average to being number one in New York Hmm. from that because it was being of a service to people. But then I remember many, many nights going home after, you know, this, after the career, because life can't always be about business. And I would walk the red carpets and see all of these glamorous people. And I would go home and cry myself to sleep at night because I was lonely. And I had no reason why I didn't have kids. I didn't have a husband. I was in the mean streets of New York and in and, and that crazy dating life. And I just kept praying not for a man, but for the right man. Um, and I would just like, God, I don't know what was taking you so long. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing up there, but please mold this man and send him quick. <laughs> but but had no idea that that I had known him all along. Um, so I knew my husband it, through the radio business. He too was the radio DJ. I knew him, but stayed far away from him. <laughs> mm, okay, <laughs> right all right. She stayed. She, she stayed far she away from the you. Right man now. <laughs> That's right. That's no, I, right. Stay, I stayed away from him for all the reasons women know. You know, we, we stay away because it's like, oh, he works in the industry. He's around all these women in the nightclubs all night. You know, he's cute, but he knows he's cute. <laughs> you know, I'm staying away from this one. But but I also at that time did not know that that was his side hustle. And, that you know, and also that that's not his career is not what defined him. So when we did finally really get to know each other, once I realized he was a contractor, I mean, I fell head over heels in love with him. You know, I started stalking him. Uh oh! <laughs> I, like, I was like, he's cute, he's nice, he's humble, and he can build. Uh oh! <laughs> <laughs> but that, so, so here, here's the thing I really liked about what you just said. You talked about the fact that this career um, is fulfilling. You're blessing people, and one of the things that I like about your show is you're showing people how to live in places they never thought they'd have the opportunity to live in. They've been renting all their lives, making somebody else rich and figuring out how they can take their money and focus on their own wealth building and their future. Talk to us a little bit about that, guys. Sure. Um, babe, do you want to? I know I've done a lot of talking. Pastor, every now and again, I got to check in on my husband. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it okay if I answer that question? <laughs> it, it is extremely rewarding because, listen, land is the one thing we're not going to get any more of. It is what it is. It's finite. Earth, last time I checked, they're not making it any bigger. Right. So we, ha- we have what we have. And the way that we leave legacy and not debt is to accumulate assets 
that will continue to grow in value and that we can reap dividends on. And so real estate since the beginning of time, land since the beginning of time, it's what wars were about, about land and minerals. And I mean, this is where the true riches are, guys. So I think that being, you know, being a renter, I understand because we, we are all doing as as well as we have been taught. But the information is out there and the opportunity is out there for anybody. You can own real estate for zero down still. Don't believe all the hype that, oh, the market's so crazy that, you know, nobody can buy anything now. There's still programs where you can. There's still properties. There's still opportunity zones. There's always a starting point for anybody who wants to be an owner. And that is the one thing that you can leave to your children. Believe it or not, with rent climbing as much as they're climbing right, right now right. Uh, and as expensive as inflation is it's still cheaper to own than to rent with renting you're always going to pay someone else and line their pockets with owning you're building wealth and you'll be able to eventually own something free and clear and again pass on legacy and not debt now i was going to say like you said past to begin with you started with this engagement of our show and everything my wife just said is exactly what you'll see within our show um Married to Real Estate, which you can watch right now on Discovery Plus. What we love about it is that, and or should I say the feedback as well, is that people watch the show and they're inspired. They want to build what we do. They want to get in the process of real estate. I can't tell you how many DMs I get of people saying, listen, because of your show, I am now inspired to become a realtor or a builder or a homeowner. do a bunch of DIYs myself or a homeowner. Yeah. Um, in the show, what what people grasp and get to see as well is that these homeowners, homeowners trust us with their ideas, with their finances, with their homes. And it's a blessing to be a blessing, you know, um, and hopefully we get to see many more seasons of it. Actually, let me share this with you. So I actually had a conversation with a friend this week um, who is renting uh, and paying $1,800 a month, uh, but hates the place that they're living in, right? Mm-hmm. Can't stand the apartment. Uh, but $1,800 a month plus utilities plus everything else that goes along with it. And, and, and I said, why haven't you thought about buying? And the response was, well, my credit score is not right. So, of course, I did some more digging. I said, well, what's your credit score? 630. I said, wait a second. Hold on. Do you know there are first-time buyer programs where your, where your score can be as low as 550 and you mm-hmm. can still get into programs? Talk to us about what it's like to be able to help somebody see the light go on that they can actually be an actual owner. Truly. Um, I'm glad you brought that up, Pastor, because many people aren't owners because they ruled themselves out. They, they weren't ruled out necessarily. They ruled themselves out. They just figured because perhaps they saw no one else in their family own or or do it successfully. Perhaps they got scared off because they witnessed a, a family member or maybe their parents went through a foreclosure and they said, oh, that's it. I'm not even going to go through it. Uh, perhaps they've got the credit blues, like you mentioned, and so many of us do. I mean, when I graduated college, my credit was ruined because of all of those, you know, those credit cards they like to hand out to us. At the student union, at the student union. It's right there. It's the trap, you know, and and, and so, um, you know, people, we, we start to rule ourselves out. We devalue ourselves and put ourselves on the sale rack instead of behind the glass case with all the other valuables, simply because we think that 
we're not good enough because we've got bad credit. <laughs> Listen, there are programs to help you fix your credit. There are programs uh, designed for people who don't have good credit. There are options of how you can buy a property. Um, there are lease to own um, options that are out there. Not, you know, some of them are traps too, but there's a lot of good programs out there. Uh, and so th- there's always a way. And I believe that not just in real estate, but in life. You know, when you set your mind that this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to accomplish, then then all the energy and all the blessings follow with. Uh, but when you talk yourself out of and rule yourself out, you're going to you're going to always stay there if you don't set your sight on something higher. And so what I want people to start doing is reprogramming themselves instead of locking into a no lock into a not yet, but soon. Amen. Amen. I like that. I like that. Hey, you're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. I got to say it, Philadelphia's only FM gospel radio station. And we're here talking with Egypt Sherrod and Mike Jackson, the host of Married to Real Estate. Guys, I had a chance to watch a couple clips of your show. I love it. Uh, But I want to talk about this wonderful relationship you guys have formed with HGTV. I mean, you've done so many projects with them. And now this show is a burgeoning success. Uh, What can we expect from you guys as this season continues to go forward in the future of this relationship? Sure. Well, we're getting ready to start filming season two of Married to Real Estate. The show uh, was a phenomenal success, and we're so grateful for everybody that tuned in and loved on our little family and and spread the word about us. Uh, 15 million viewers. That was considered a big success for the network wow. and and we're grateful and we're we're humbled by it and we don't take it for granted at all uh so we're, we're gearing up for that thank you to everybody that watched us on rock the block on hdtv um <laughs> i don't know if we because some people still haven't seen it so we can't we, we shouldn't blow it and tell them what happened at the end but um uh but if you haven't watched it you can catch both on discovery plus and yeah mike and i actually that show married to real estate we developed it during the well, during the midst of the pandemic, we just started filming ourselves around the house with our kids and how we were running our business from one end of the kitchen counter and schooling them on the other end and, you know, making it all work. And and we shot it. HGTV loved it and said, hey, we see a show in this, you know, and, and that's how Married to Real Estate came about. So we are uh, co-executive producers on the show as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, guys, listen. I know it's Mother's Day. I can't tell you how how pleased I am to have you in the pastor's office today. Uh, and I want our listeners, listen to me, Philly's favorite listeners, support this couple. They've got information that they can share. They've got knowledge that they can pass on. It's all about our village coming together and creating a seat at the table of success for everybody. Guys, give them your social media tags so we can keep following you. Sure. Um, I'm Egypt Sherrod on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, listen, grew up right there at Broad Nolney, uh, spent some time in Sheltonham and Mount Airy area, went to Ivy Leaf, which I think is now um, defunct. My granddad used to be over at Girls High. I wow. graduated from Temple. I'm, I'm a real Philly girl. You know Philly. Yep. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Mike. Uh, three things. Like my wife said, we are on Discovery Plus right now, Married to Real Estate and Rock the Block. My Instagram is DJ Fidel. DJ F-A-D-E-L-F. Same thing is on Twitter as well. And I would like to say this, because you mentioned something, Pastor, as far as, um, you know, us gathering and getting behind each other as a family. 
that's one of the reasons why we succeeded because people got behind us. You know, we say we want to see us on TV. We want to see things. We got to get behind each other and support, support, support. So for those that have already supported, thank you tremendously yeah. from our thank family, so the entire team. We are very appreciative. Guys, congratulations on all of your success. Uh, a thank you for being a blessing to the folks because the folks will repent pay that blessing with loyalty uh, and you know that. That's that's the way we are. We're a family uh, and so thank you so much for all you've done. Uh, we're going to support your show Married to Real Estate on HGTV Rock the Block and anything else you do. Ladies and gentlemen, Egypt, Sherrod, Mike Jackson, thank you for coming into Pastor's Office. God thank bless. You. Thank you, Pastor. Philly's favorite listeners, don't you dare leave your radio dial or leave the app. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Hey, Philly Saver listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office, and we want to certainly, as always, thank you for joining us and being a part of this journey, this experience. You know that I'm always working and attempting to provide you with information uh, about what's going on, not only in the Philadelphia City Council, uh, not, not, not just there, not in the mayor's office, but what's going on in Harrisburg. Uh, and how that impacts us on a local level. Uh, recently, the Pennsylvania State Senate uh, voted to end drop boxes. They also voted to end uh, outside money for elections. Uh, and I want you to understand how this vote impacts you. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the votes uh, looks to be veto-proof, uh, even though Governor Wolf is not supportive of either measure. Uh, so I wanted to bring back to the pastor's office one of our guests uh, that has always been forthcoming with information, always helped us to really understand uh, how these impact, how these issues impact us locally. I want to bring into the pastor's office Senator Sharif Street. Senator Street, how are you doing? Come on into the pastor's office. Uh, pastor, it is always good to be here with you and to talk with your listeners and. Uh, I appreciate the work you do to help keep our community informed. A uh, informed uh, community tends to do much better than a community uh, that is lacking of knowledge. And, and listen, when they're informed, when our community is informed, we know how to motivate ourselves to get out to the polls and vote and do what's necessary to make sure that we put people in office that are going to be representing our needs. Absolutely. So, so listen, recently here in April, uh, mid-April, uh, the Senate took a vote on drop boxes. Uh, drop boxes were a major part uh, of the 2020 election. Uh, considering the fact that we were in a pandemic, uh, it was really a benefit for voters to be able uh, to go by drop box, drop off their ballot, ballot and, and go wherever they needed to go. Everybody can't get off on Election Day. Uh, and then two people didn't want to be in close proximity to others at that time. Well, the Pennsylvania State Senate is just taking a vote to end drop boxes. Help us understand how that's going to impact us going forward. Well, first of all, um, the uh, Senate took a vote to end drop boxes, but there there uh, aren't enough votes to override a veto, and it will be vetoed. The Republican caucus, I believe that was a near-party-line vote, the uh, Republicans want to have have nationally, and this is not Pennsylvania is not immune from this. Had this idea that they want to suppress the vote of the people, and that they want to make sure that 
and that they're trying to prevent um, people from having options on on how to vote. Uh, and, 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 and therefore, they voted to eliminate drop boxes um, with, uh, with, with, uh, no, with no evidence that drop boxes created harm and lots of evidence that, that drop boxes expanded voter opportunities. Moreover, you know, the pandemic, we are winding down, uh, God willing, from the worst part of this pandemic, but we still have, there are still concerns around COVID. And drop boxes were essential during the pandemic for making, allowing people to vote um, in a safe manner. But look, this has been a war on the vo- on voting rights that has been happening across the country. It's come to Pennsylvania, but I will tell you, um, we're not going to ban drop, drop boxes. We'll be here in Pennsylvania, and if the Republicans try, uh, if if the Republicans call it for a vote and it passes the House, um, the governor will veto it, and we will sustain that veto. Now, I want our listeners to really understand the impact uh, drop boxes had in this last election. I mean, <laughs> we had, in the midst of a pandemic, one of the highest voter turnouts in the history of our country. And yeah, we did. People... And, yep, you're right. We had millions of people vote by mail. And remember, the Republicans in the Trump administration tried to screw up the postal system. And so that people's mail-in ballots wouldn't arrive on time. And so drop boxes were a mechanism for people to turn in their mail-in ballots without having to use an overworked and underpaid postal system because of an intentional disruption in the postal system by the Trump administration. And so uh, they were really critical. You know, one of the arguments they use, Senator Street, is that families or individuals would come and drop off more than one ballot. Well, if you're in a household with five or six people that are of voting age and all of them want to uh, make sure their vote is heard, what? why is there an issue with individuals dropping off ballots for their family members and friends? Well, it's a peculiarity in the in the law that we have. Each person has to put his or her own ballot in, in, uh, in the box themselves. But the reality is that even if a person uh, did drop off his his or her husband's or or wife's or son or daughter's ballot, it does it that doesn't really constitute fraud, um, although it wouldn't be it wouldn't be appropriate. Uh, for the most part, people were dropping off their ballots individually, and there's no evidence that there were any fraudulent votes cast or there were systemic ballot harvesting. What they don't want is people who are going around. And, and getting large groups of them because they're and they're um, you know, coercing people into voting for one candidate or another. There's no evidence that that happened. There may have been one or two people who randomly dropped off a, a husband who said, uh, I mean, the governor I think talked about famously that he he his wife dropped his his ballot in the mail in a box, and that of course is not appropriate. But the governor did ca- like most of us. Um, he filled out his own ballot and. If his wife dropped it in the mail for him, well, that 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 technically is a right, but there's no voter fraud there. It doesn't change what the ballot said. This is not really about voter fraud. This is about them trying to use excuses and technicalities to limit the ability of people to vote. What they want is that in places where people had concerns about COVID, that they don't come out to vote. What they want is is to limit the enfranchisement of people because they realize that a majority of Americans no longer support their ideology. And what we're supposed to do is, as elected officials or people who want to be elected officials or as political parties, 
go out and convince people that we are right and then win an election because people believe in us, not because people didn't believe in us but couldn't figure out how to vote. Um, and unfortunately, uh, it is sad that one of, uh, the, major, one of um, the country's major American parties, the Republican Party, seems to be abandoning the, even the concept that they can go out and convince more people to support their ideas. They just feel like they have to suppress people's vote. Um, and let's not let's 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 not let's be clear. The places where they're looking to target to eliminate drop boxes, the places where they most want to suppress the vote, are places where black and brown folk live, because we because they have offered almost nothing to our community in in the way of of uh, giving us a reason to vote for them. And so we almost we vote in in great numbers for Democrats because the Republicans don't offer our community very much of anything other than a hard time. And so I think what they need to be doing is figuring out what do black and brown folk want and how can we convince us of the of of that their positions are right instead of trying to stop us from voting. But unfortunately, that's not where they are. And so we're going to we will I will defend democracy and the governor will. And we're going to make sure that people can have the right to vote and the drop boxes remain available and uh, and that and that they don't they don't uh, Try to restrict our ability to vote because what they re- the reason they want to restrict our ability to vote for people who are listening. So you're talking about voting because that determines where they put money in schools. That's right. That determines the the criminal justice laws. Right now, under this governor, we have reduced the number of people in prison by tens of by thousands and thousands of people. And those thousands of, and by reducing it by thousands of people, we've been able to close prisons and shift money from incarceration into education. The governor's spending on on prisons has dropped by hundreds of millions of dollars, and his spending on education has increased by billions of dollars, and and that and it's a reversing of that cycle, where you you take money from education, and because you take money from education, more people go to prisons, and you spend more more money for prisons and take more money from education, and it goes worse. We've reversed that cycle where we are increasingly reducing our prison spend and increasing our education spend, and it becomes self-reinforcing. But in some of these counties, you have people that want us to spend money on prisons because that's that's the only jobs they have in some of these places where industry has left some of these small towns. What we need to be doing is figuring out how to retrain these workers in these small towns for the jobs of tomorrow and not them trying to figure out a way to stop us from voting so they can take away our education and then have our folks sit in prison. That's a real thing. People have said it on the record in the Pennsylvania Senate that they wish to see an increasing prison population because it creates jobs in their community. And what I said, and but this governor and Democrats in Pennsylvania have been committed to reducing the prison population so we can increase jobs. And there, and, and there are some Republicans coming along to that, but the National Party hasn't yet found that they need to be figuring out how to appeal to the values of our community. This is just one answer and not figuring out how to suppress the vote because in the end of the in the end, we are going to vote, and we are going to vote our interests. You're listening to Philly's Favor, 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. We're here talking to our great state senator, Sharif Street. Uh, senator Street, you know, this issue of suppressing the vote, uh, it, it's, I, I hate to say it, but it, it really is almost uh, a display of overt racism. I had one of your colleagues on. Uh, a few weeks ago, and we were talking about uh, the the district maps uh, and the fact that obviously 
the judicial system is now going to have to make decisions uh, on the district maps. Uh, but in many cases, the issues that are raised affect individuals uh, that are in communities with black and brown folks, folks that look like me and you. Uh, why is it that folk cannot see that this is an attempt to stop black and brown people, minorities, from getting to the polls and from exercising their rights? Well, you know, you're right. And with the districts, historically, there have been a tactics called cracking and packing, which is in places where you have enough African-Americans or, or, or Latinos or black and brown folk where you could make multiple districts for people of color. They pack us all in one district so that we can we get one representative or one center where we could have had two. And in places where we could have in places where maybe in other instances where we could have had one, they split us. So we get none. And what we're what 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 I we have been what we need in the mapping process is we needed to get fair maps that allowed us to express our vote. Uh, the other thing they've done is try to gerrymander the maps in favor of one party or the other. In Pennsylvania, historically, there's been a lot of gerrymandering in favor of Republicans. I think this this last set of maps is fairer than we've seen in a long time. Um, and we were making gains and strides even under the unfair maps that we had before. But I think at this last time, <clears throat> this last set round of maps is, are going to be better. And so people should be encouraged because overall the maps did become fairer, although there are things, there are places where the Voting Rights Act should have been enforced where it wasn't. But today the maps we will have for this year's elections are better than the ones we had for the last elections. And that is a step in the right direction, even if it is not as good as it could have been. Uh, and so we're making progress in that regard. But the only way we continue, can continue to make progress is that we vote and participate in elections. We need to make sure that our court system um, reflects uh, the, 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 the will of the people. We need to make sure that our, our state house and state senate and our congressional district delegations do. And I'll tell you one thing that's critically important is we have a governor's election up. And while I keep talking about what we can stop them from doing, that is because even though Republicans have the majority in the House and Senate, we have a Democratic governor uh, in Governor Wolf. And Governor Wolf has, has stood on the right side of voting rights and of uh, criminal justice reform and of other issues. And we've got to make sure right now, and I'm looking at the Republicans and Democrats, <coughs> the Democratic governor candidate has committed uh, to these kinds of things, funding education and protecting the voting rights and standing up for uh, uh, reforming the criminal justice system. And, and the Republicans, most of them are still talking about voter suppression, particularly the leading, the leading candidate for Republicans for governor in the polls, my colleague, Senator Mastriano, he, he famously took, it is reported, more people to the insurrection than uh, almost anyone else in America. And I just don't think that's a guy that should be leading the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, and so what we've got to do, but people who support him will vote. And we have to get out in big numbers to make sure that he doesn't become the governor and uh, he doesn't drive our Commonwealth in, in a direction that is inconsistent with basic values and decency. And, our, and he doesn't start taking money away from education and in, uh, increasing mass incarceration and uh, suppressing our voting rights and and and, uh, and 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 not and and doing all the other kinds of things that you know are just bad. 
You know, Senator Street, um, I was just taking a look uh, at the vote that was taken for uh, on in April for outside money for elections. It looks like that vote is not veto-proof. Uh, 37 to 12, uh, the Senate voted uh, on this measure. Can you help our listeners understand how that will impact our elections going forward? Well, so... One, um, many of my colleagues on the on the thirty seven on the vote for outside money, um, we I you know I spoke on the floor and said I don't believe there should be outside money funding our electoral system, but uh, if there is not, then we need to make sure that the government adequately funds uh, our elections. Um, we shouldn't have an unfunded mandate. We need to be able to make sure that we ha- that we have enough money to have. Our early voting stations that we can process the elections. And so I believe that if there is going to be that either I want one of two things will happen, either that bill won't become law, or if it does become law, it will be because there is a commitment to make sure that our elections, that we don't need outside money and that we can fully fund our elections. So one of those two things are likely to happen. Um, our, but yeah, and just because people vote to support something on an initial vote doesn't mean they'll vote the same way on a veto. But I can tell you the sentiment um, on this amongst Democrats is pretty strong that we don't believe that the best way of doing this is to have uh, outside money pay for our, um, our elections. On the other hand, uh, there were many of us who voted against the bill because the bill failed to provide the resources that are needed that the County Commissioners Association, which is, by the way, more Republicans than Democrats, and these are people that run the elections, have failed to provide what they say they need, which is the money to run the election system. So uh, I think in, a, in an ideal world, we will be able to have an election system that is fully paid for by the government, um, and we won't have, need outside money. But if, if, if the government fails to provide the, the necessary resources, I think we will. We won't have a system uh, where we banned outside money because the, the folks who are from the counties were just doing the best they could to make sure that they could actually run the elections properly. Senator Sharif Street, I want to thank you again for always coming into the pastor's office and helping our Philly Saver listeners understand what's going on out there. As I always say, uh, an educated constituent base is a motivated and engaged constituent base. So, sir, as you continue to work to help Pennsylvanians live a better life, I always say this when you're on, if you, we can ever offer these airwaves to help you move your initiatives forward, we're only a phone call, text message, or email away. So we appreciate you. Thank you, my friend. It's good talking with you as well. And, Pastor, uh, can, I, I appreciate and thank you for, for helping to educate the, the electorate, because an informed citizenry makes better decisions, and uh, you know it'll, it it helps clarify our vision. And what is the old uh, Bible verse? Without vision, it, people perish for a lack of vision. And so you have helped That's to right. provide, make the the vision of the people more clear, uh, and as and and therefore our people are much more likely to be prosperous. So thank you for all that you do, and keep doing it. Thank you so much, sir. Yeah, we're, we're, we're Jonathan Mason.